I'm glad you've chosen to be here today. Um, this is a dangerous passage of Scripture to preach. In fact, I would be better off talking about politics for the last 30 minutes and to be safer. <laughs> uh, just kidding. Mildly kidding. I'm sure. Today's one of those days where you consider every word you use extremely carefully. Uh, Not that I don't every time I speak, but today would be one of those days where it would be very easy to be misunderstood. And I don't want to be misunderstood. In fact, the conversation that we had in staff meeting about this passage of Scripture... Because I asked, which by the way, I heard great reports. Pastor Hannah did an incredible job two weeks ago. I heard that right after service. I was getting, I was getting texts, and so good job. But here's what's funny: in staff meeting, I asked, I asked and said, I won't say who said it, Hannah. I, okay, but I asked in staff meeting which passage would she like to preach: slaves or wives? She said, "Aren't they the same thing?" I was like, "Oh man!" I said, "It's a joke." It's a joke. So, yeah. So, I'm just saying, this is, she, she spoke on the slaves passage, and now I'm doing the wives passage. Now you know why I'm done. Okay, see ya. Have a great day. <laughs> so, uh, yeah. We've taken time already to, to receive an offering for uh, World Family Kids Camp, which starts next Monday, and we, we know that. But, look, if everyone lived this passage of Scripture, or lived the Scriptures, there would be no need for foster care. If every church-attending family lived the teachings of the Scriptures, there wouldn't be broken homes in the church. There wouldn't be divorce in the church. There wouldn't be any of that. And, and, but the problem is, at some point, that breaks down. And so today, we're going to talk about a passage of Scripture that I think is very important. And, and there's little doubt that the time in which Peter wrote this letter was a different time than we live now. But the principles that exist within this passage of Scripture are still applicable today. So 2,000 years ago in Rome and Greece, it was a little different than it is today. There were things that people experienced then that we do not experience. We just don't. You talked about two weeks ago, the, the, the slaves in the first century and how that worked. It was an accepted practice at that time. And we, we understand that that is unacceptable and it's no longer practiced in our culture but it is practiced around the world still. We don't believe that's acceptable. We don't think that that should go on. And, and we, that's why we work towards justice and all those things. But now today we're going to continue to look at First Peter and a subject that brings fear to every preacher. The subject of wives. See, we'll get the husbands next week on Father's Day. I was going to try and tackle them both, husbands and wives, in one day, but I, I got to working at it, and I was like, oh, man, i I got to spend the time just to make sure I'm not misunderstood on the whole wives passage. The other part that it really is, see, first service was really easy to preach. You know why? Angela wasn't in the service. It was easy. See, she's listening to everything I say now. So, so hopefully at the end of this, you still consider me uh, your friend. And when we are done today, more importantly, I hope that you will understand more of what Peter was teaching then and how the principles are applied today. It's extremely important, if for no other reason than for you to be able to answer the questions of those around you who misunderstand and misapply this passage. 
I'm going to take you back to the year of 397 A.D. An aging saint of the Christian faith wrote what would become one of the most compelling autobiographies ever published. When the book was finally finished, he titled his own tale, The Confessions of St. Augustine. Buried in the celebrated narrative, he, he writes a moving tribute to his mother, Monica, on the influence she had in bringing her unbelieving husband, Patricius, to personal faith in Jesus. Augustine described his mother's role with these words. She served her husband as her master and did all she could to win him for you, speaking to him of you by her conduct, by which you made her beautiful. Finally, when her husband was at the end of his earthly span, she gained him for you. It doesn't take much to envision Augustine's mother's difficult years of marriage, looking for strength to go on in the quiet words and understated promises of 1 Peter chapter 3, verses 1 and 2. Perhaps she'd even committed them to memory, but here they are. In the same way, you wives must accept the authority of your husbands. Then, even if some refuse to obey the good news, your godly lives will speak to them without any words. They will be won over by observing your pure and reverent lives. We'll start here in these first two verses, and we'll get through the first six verses of the chapter, and we'll go on to husbands next week. But there's something powerful at work here, and we need to understand it. You must remember that Christianity was, was rapidly growing in the first century. People were becoming followers of Jesus at an incredible rate. The problem was that wives were becoming followers of Jesus, and husbands were not. There were also times when husbands were becoming followers of Jesus, and at times, wives were not. But that was much more uncommon. And the reason that was much more uncommon, if you think back to even, even remember Paul and, and, and Silas in the prison and the Philippian jailer, when the Philippian jailer comes to faith, what happens? His whole family comes with him. That was typical of what would happen when a, when a a man or a husband, a father who came to faith, is the whole family would come with them. And there's a reason for that, because, because the father determined what, what religion was practiced within the home. And so, in that time, for a wife to become a follower of Jesus and the husband not to, could lead to the charge of atheism against the wife. Because she didn't practice the religion of the home, and it was a male-dominated culture. And so, immediately, if, 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 a, if a wife came to faith, and the husband did not come to faith, there was an immediate conflict that was going to take place. And it was all built around someone who's a follower of Jesus and someone who's not. And that's immediately what this is about. This is the first part of this. Right away, we have to understand that it is written to help people grasp what was going on in that culture. And Peter writes to the culture, he writes to the people of the first century, and says, if your husband is worth it. Submit to him. That's not what he writes. He writes, submit to your husband. Respect the authority of your husband. That, that's what he writes. In the same way, you wives must accept the authority of your husbands. That, that, there's no qualifier there. In fact, he goes on to give further dis discussion and disclaimer. He says, look, in fact, in the case that you're, you're Husband is unbelieving. You're 
respecting his authority, your accepting his authority, your submission to him will probably be the very thing that brings him to faith. And that's what Peter is instructing. Peter is saying, look, you, you wives must submit. And, and I realize when we say that, when I say that in 21st century America, like, I didn't realize how many gun-toting women there were in the room until I heard all the clicks. You know, I'm like, I'm like, oh, okay, don't shoot. Because we think of this passage in a 21st century mindset without understanding the context with which it was written. And until we understand the context, we cannot apply it into our culture and understand. Now, you think I'm going to let you off easy. That's probably not the case. I didn't just say that to give you a disclaimer as to, oh, well, it, it just meant that in the first century, not in this one. I wish I could. It'd be easier, okay? It'd be easier. i just say, okay, just, yeah, no, it didn't mean anything. Let's go home. But I can't. Just like, and I want you to understand, ladies, as I say this today, understand you actually have the easier job. <laughs> and I saw some looks on that one. And we'll get to it next. And I'll invoke a little from, from Ephesians next week with the husbands. But, but ladies' responsibilities, look here, are submit to a husband. The husband's responsibility is to die for their wives. One of which you can recover from. Right? I mean, you can, you can live through submission. You don't live through death. Okay, and, and that is actually the responsibility. And I realize that, so when you look at this, you understand, well, this is a very difficult passage to, to, to grasp and to live. Because, and, and, and we're going to get to it here, okay? We're going to get through this. But think about this for just a moment. There were limits to what a wife should submit to. Okay, there, there's no question there are. I, I know that the way the New Testament reads, the New Living Translation reads, it's probably a little easier to accept, but, but there are places where... You know, it just flat says, and other translations say, wives must submit to their husbands. And it says it in Ephesians, they must respect their husbands and all those things. So it's there. Probably easier to accept. But there is no difference between this instruction, okay? Wives submit the authority of your husbands, as it was in, in 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 13, where it says everyone has to submit to the governing authorities. Look, there are multiple times, both with the governing authorities... And even slaves to masters. Now, how, how right is that for a slave to submit to a master, right? How right is it for a, for a citizen to submit to government authorities that we know aren't worth submitting to? Okay? So, what, what power is it in if we only submit when people are worthy of submission? Okay? That's not the power. The power of the gospel is being willing to submit when the person over you may not be worthy of it. Let's be honest. Angela submits, she respects and honors me, and I don't deserve it. I am not perfect. I am far from it. But, but yet, at the same time, we understand, and we're going to get to some of the power of this. And, and look, you have to grasp this concept. This passage was written to women. Wives, the instruction is written to women. Wives, submit to your husbands. It does not say husbands demand submission from your wives. That's very key. Because you have to understand, you, anytime somebody demands somebody to submit, they're wrong. From the pages of Scripture. 
the responsibility is always written to the individual who is supposed to be learning. See, I'm always responsible for my actions. Look, you can walk up here today, you can kick me in the teeth, you can shoot me. I would have right to, and I would have rights to treat you poorly. You would think. I do not. That is not God's instructions to me. God's instructions to me are for me to treat you with kindness, honor, respect, no matter what you do to me. Now, please don't test that, okay? I mean, that's, that's kind of unfair, right? It's like don't provoke your children to wrath, okay? Don't provoke your pastor to wrath. It's kind of the same kind of deal. My responsibility is my actions. Look, no matter what you do to me, I must respond Christ-like. And no matter how I have treated someone, if the Scriptures are clear, then they must do what the Scriptures say. And there's a promise here, and we're going to get to it as we go along. But it's so important, and it's so easy to misunderstand the concepts. Submitting to leadership of a husband. Therefore, given the great pain evoked by this text and the difficulties for a pastor to preach, it would much be it would so much be easier just to like skip that. I mean, it would have been easier just to go, you know, I don't feel like preaching that. But we're not going to do that. See, Peter's call to submission does not mean some things. And I'm going to go through a list of things it does not mean. Okay, Peter's, Peter's list of submission for a Christian wife does not mean that if your, Christ, if your husband asks you to abandon your faith in Christ, that you should do it. It does not say that. And you should never do that. It, it does not mean that if your husband asks you to sin, you should do it. It does not mean that you must always agree with him and never present a differing view. <laughs> Ansel and I, we agree on everything. <laughs> At least in this minute. <laughs> I mean, we, you know, we, we disagree on things all the time. It doesn't mean that if, if the spouse is unfaithful to you, you're left without biblical recourse. It doesn't mean that if he is abusive physically or even verbally, that you must remain quiet in the home. It does not mean that. So, so you have to understand, submission, is, it has some limits here. And, and, and accepting the authority of the husband, it, it's got limits. It doesn't mean those things. But you have to understand what Peter was suggesting and in all the other areas he was pushing for. And at the same time, trying to help us understand that Christianity was not trying to turn the culture upside down. Christianity was trying to change the culture by seeing one life change at a time. And that's what it was trying to do. Christianity in the first century was not a, a religion of rebellion. It was actually a religion and a relationship that brought submission. Peter is suggesting in a large sense that wives submitting to the unbelieving husbands had the potential to bring them to a relationship with Christ. And it wasn't the only reason that Peter writes instructions. But, but that is one of the things that he's really saying. Because he says the, the line about submitting first, and then he says, if you are. So he knows he's writing it to both groups of people, both, both those who are married to believers and those who are married to unbelievers. It's important to note here that these people were already married, okay, and one of them became a follower of Christ. It is not a good idea to marry someone who is not a follower of Christ. It is not a good idea to marry someone who is not growing and committed to following Christ as closely as you are as well and as you want to. 
So for the students in the room, don't date people who are not followers of Jesus. Okay, look, if you don't date them, you can't marry them. Okay? Unless, of course, your parents arrange it, but that doesn't happen much either. So um, marrying a person who is not a follower of Jesus will most likely bring you pain and heartache. And if nothing else, it leaves a place in your life that you can't share the deepest and most important part of your life with the person who is supposed to know the most about your life. If you've already gotten married and you've already married someone who's not a follower of Jesus, then the words of 1 Peter apply directly to you and are especially important to you so you understand the principle that he is laying out here. The principle of submission is important for all of us to understand because the principle that Peter is really pushing for is for us to recognize that we are to emulate Jesus. Jesus submitted even though he didn't have to. There would be no forgiveness of sin if Jesus hadn't submitted, but Jesus could have killed his accusers. He could have wiped out the leaders who put him on trial, but he didn't. He chose to submit. He chose to humble himself. So even Jesus, who is sort of like the active agent in creation, surrenders himself and submits himself to creation and therefore becomes our Savior. And I think we need to understand that. And that's where we, in, in, a, in a sense, that's what's happening. What's what Peter is communicating. He's saying, if you will submit, you can become the agent through which your unbelieving spouse comes to faith. That, that is what he's saying. And, and that is the key to what we must do. Choose to submit. Even if the person isn't worthy of submitting to, which we've already talked about briefly. We are to submit even when they aren't worthy. Now, I've already given the exceptions, so I'm not. Tr- I'm, though, remember, the exceptions take a little bit of the, the cap off of that. But remember those. There might be some others, but you get the point on what the exceptions are. I'm responsible for my actions and my decisions, and you are for yours. Your actions do not justify my disobedience to God. That's true for all of us, no matter what our actions are. The problem is, is then in the past, we've probably made some of the, the following verses the major instead of what the first two verses are the major. See, the, the verses 3 through 6 actually are clarifying verses 1 and 2. And we've often heard it the other way around. We, we've often talked about the other things. So, so verses 3 through 6... Uh, Peter writes, don't be concerned about the outward beauty of fancy hairstyles, expensive jewelry, or beautiful clothes. You should clothe yourselves instead with the beauty that comes from within, the unfading beauty of a gentle and quiet spirit, which is so precious to God. This is how the holy women of old made themselves beautiful. They put their trust in God and accepted the authority of their husbands. For instance, Sarah obeyed her husband, Abraham, and called him her master. And you are her daughters when you do what is right without fear of what your husbands might do. Now, this is not suggesting there shouldn't be any attempt to look good, all right? This is not what it's saying. But here's the key to these verses, and I think you really have to grasp this. You have to understand what Peter is communicating. In the first century, and even today, people will do certain things, wear certain clothes, uh, expensive things, hairstyles, whatever, that will put on the appearance of importance. Okay, in the first century, 
And the reason hairstyles are no, mentioned first is because they were one of the things that would, could be done very easily. Well, not easily, but it was done and would be paraded. Okay, so if you were really wealthy, if you were part of the aristocracy, you could go out and get hair done that no one else could afford to have done. You could go get a hairstyle that no one else could match. And so you would walk and people would know, oh man, that's an important person. That's a wealthy person. That's somebody who, who, you know, and they were looking for position and power and some of those things. And that would be part of it. And so that goes along with the expensive jewelry and all those things, the beautiful clothes. Well, it could go as far as even for us today. If we have to drive a certain car, that might tend to push to a certain place. If we're having to do things, dress, wear things, whatever, that are drawing attention in order to get power and prestige, then we're doing things for the wrong reasons. And that's what what Peter is communicating here. There's nothing wrong with looking good, smelling good, all those things. We all appreciate that, okay? We would prefer that we not walk in and walk past somebody and have the, you know, as opposed to, you you know. But now, on the other hand, it's also saying don't do those things so that you get noticed by people that you shouldn't be trying to impress. Okay, because we can also do those things. We can, we can do dress, we can wear whatever, we can put smell to be noticed by people that we should not be trying to impact. I'll leave it there. Jesus did not try and impress people. Jesus uh, lived a humble life. He, he submitted himself. He lived a humble life. He was never looking to try and impress people. He was just doing the work of the Father. In fact, it seems as if now, I think he was probably, you know, he probably went down to the river, and I'm assuming he still smelled like a normal person. It says like, so he was going to probably take some baths and all those things. So he was going to, but the bottom line is, he wasn't trying to impress people. He lived like, he, he is the creator God, and he doesn't impress people. That's powerful. His power was in his character, and that's exactly what Peter is saying. Peter is saying godly character should be the goal of every follower of Jesus. That is what makes people beautiful. And then Peter chooses Sarah as the example for what he's looking for. He says, I would encourage you, take a look at Sarah. He says, for instance, Sarah obeyed her husband Abraham. I I think for, for all of us, it's worth going and looking at the life of Sarah. And studying what she did. Now, we can't do that in this period of time. But let's just say, for example, um, Sarah is a pretty powerful example of what God would want. And that's where Peter goes. Our culture is constantly trying to make women think that applying this principle, this principle of submission, will in the end be a setback to women everywhere. And I don't think that's true. Peter says, no, 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 look at Sarah. Sarah was a woman who got into her husband's face a time or two. And probably should have a few more times. But the bottom line is, he needed it. And we all do. Okay, there are times when we have to have the opportunity for people to speak into our lives. And the best person in this room to speak into my life is my wife. She knows me better than anyone else in this room knows me. She knows my strengths, my weaknesses. She knows how to keep my strengths from getting out of line and me getting a big head. And she knows how to keep my weaknesses from being a problem as well. She knows where to speak into my life to help me become who God wants me to be. 
See, that has nothing to do with not submitting. In fact, that has everything to do with being the right relationship that God designed marriage to be. In fact, if it's not for her, I wouldn't be who I am today. See, there's so much of what she's done in my life that has nothing necessary to do with submission. It has to do with being partners in ministry. Look, but there's something powerful about her willingness to let me lead. And that doesn't mean like, oh, I'm in charge. Look, when you got to assert your leadership, I don't care which environment it's in, whether it's in work or home or whatever, if you have to assert your leadership to get something done, you don't have as much leadership as you think you have. When you've got a pool position to get things accomplished, you don't have it. You're only able to do it through position. Look, in a good relationship, you can navigate anything you're going through in those kind of manners because of relationship. Now, we don't agree on everything. We have conversations about it, but we don't agree on it. And, and then we'll come to a conclusion. But there's something powerful. Look, and here's the, here's the big thing about this whole deal with submission. There's not one of us, as we've already talked about through government things and through work things or whatever, there's no place and no one that doesn't need somebody to be in submission to. Okay? Like, people think, oh, you're the senior pastor. Correct. That doesn't mean I'm in charge. Okay, first off, I, one, I've got to be submitted to God. But that's not even enough because people can play that card too strong. And that, that, that's not enough. I'm in submission to our board. The board. If the board tells me I can't do something, I can't do it. It's plain and simple. And in some senses, I'm even in submission to the church itself and to the congregation. And so, so, look, I have to live my life submitted to other people. We all do. And in this place, we have to do it in our home as well. There has to be somebody who, who's sort of leading. But the bottom line is, it's never pulled as the card. It's never like, oh, I'm in charge. It doesn't happen. That's not the way it is. So, but there's something about it. When a lady is willing to say, you know what, I'm submitting to the leadership of my husband, there's a promise in that. Just as there was for Sarah, just as there was through, through all the things that are going on, you, when, when Sarah submits to her husband, there's a promise. See, Sarah experiences the promises of God that were given to Abraham because she's in submission to her husband. Okay, so when, when, when God says to Abraham, you're going to be the, the father of many nations, your descendants are going to be like the sands of the seashore, he says all that. There's a promise and there's an act of faith involved. There's a promise and there's a trust that says, I'm going to trust God no matter what. Now, Sarah laughed about it. We know that. Because you're like, oh, how's that going to happen? Just like many of you, when I say, you know, you submit to your, to your husbands, you laugh about that too. Like, how's that going to happen? Like, like, but no, there's a promise there that says, if I'll submit to my husband, then I live with the promises of what God is doing. I'm going to live under his provision and his protection. When, when Sarah said, I'm going to submit and I'm going to live my life this way, I'm going to see the promise of God displayed through my life. And, and, and there were years between the first promise and then the second promise and then the realization of the promise. So there's a year between the promises. By next year, you're going to have a baby and you're like, that's the way. You're 900 years old. No, it's not going to happen. They had heard the promise years earlier. And they tried to do something in their own way. God had his plan. And if we'll trust in God's plan, he will deliver on his promises. 
If we'll trust in Him, if we'll have faith in Him, He will do it. Here's the deal. A lady's submission to a husband is an act of faith. An act of faith in God. An act of faith in your husband. It's an act of faith. It's a demonstration of your trust in God. Look, God created them. He can actually change them. You may think you can never change your spouse's mind. God can change your spouse's mind. Okay? He, he is. Do we believe that or not? So if we're willing to submit, it's, and again, this whole submission thing, I think in some ways we get so out of line with it in our culture because we think it's this extreme. It's not. It's an act of faith that says, I'm going to submit to the leadership of the people around me. Just like I'm going to submit to the people around me, I'm going to submit to the government, and I'm going to do what they say to do. Now, there are places where there are limits. Those same limits exist within the home, and it's kind of the same stuff. It's all, and, and that's why he's done this with those three areas, and he's going to continue to do it with husbands. And when you see that, you understand that he's actually not asking for anything different in the home than he is in the government. He's asking for the same submission to be flowing through all those areas. And if we'll live that way, we're going to live under his protection and his promises. And I think that's the important part. So the end of the section instructs, for instance, Sarah obeyed her husband, Abraham, and called him her master. You are her daughters when you do what is right without fear of what your husbands might do. Look, in the first century, the first century people understood that there could be fear. Peter would understand that. See, because in that culture, fear was a real thing. The fear was a real issue. Now, in the, in the Roman culture, you could kind of get away with it. But in some of those other cultures, the, you know, women didn't have as many rights. But, but there were some. But they knew that there was fear here. There could be potential for fear. What is the husband going to do? And so by submitting, they didn't have to worry about the fear. And they also understood that they could live their life by faith. And they were heirs of God's promises. They were heirs of the promises made to Abraham. They were being called daughters of Abraham and Sarah. They were being called daughters. And, and that is powerful. It's just like us as we submit our lives to Christ. Because that's the deal, right? Right from the start, the life of the follower of Jesus is a life of submission to Jesus. We no longer get to call our own shots. We have to actually submit to him. And this is just one more piece of it. Look, fear is not the place to live. 2 Timothy 1.7 says, For God has not given us a spirit of fear and timidity, but of power, love, and self-discipline. God has not given us a spirit of fear. The problem with most of us is that we can see the exceptions and the potential problems with doing something and then are afraid to do it. God is telling all of us to trust him and do what he says. There is a blessing in that. And it's no different for wives, even wives with unbelieving husbands. Respect them, submit to their authority, and God will work on your behalf. What you're doing by following His Word is unleashing His power into your life and your situation. If you don't do it, He's made no promises to help you. But if you will do what He says in the Word, He's going to help you. And, and that's the promise of this passage. It's that if we'll do this, if we'll submit, He's going to display His work in our lives and in our situation. But, okay, so what do we need to do today? Wives, you need to evaluate. Are you submitting to the leadership of your husband? If you mock or roll your eyes at him or behind him, um, that might suggest you might not be accepting the authority of your husband. Just, I'm just saying. 
I'm not suggesting you always agree. I'm not suggesting you don't have some hard conversations. We should have tough conversations. And husbands, if you're smart, you'll listen to the counsel of your wives. And we'll get into the responsibility of husbands next week, but... Ladies, I think the instructions of this passage are spend your time working on your character and your inner beauty. I know we all want to look good, smell good, all that, I understand. Nothing wrong with that. But work on your inner beauty. Finally, don't live your lives in fear. Live your life with confidence in God's ability to work in any situation as long as you are willing to honor and obey God. In submitting to your husband's leadership, you are ultimately submitting to God and honoring him. And that's the key. Now, again, next week, like, this is even, that might be even harder, because then I got to live it all, you know? Um, next week, preaching to myself and every other guy in the room. But I think if we will do this, it sets the foundation for families that'll be God honoring and powerful in the 21st century just as they were in the first century and it will actually from our lives being lived in honoring God it will actually be an example for others to follow my prayer for Ansel and I is that our lives and our relationship will be such that others will want to follow our example. We want to have a relationship that honors God in a way that will, will be something that other people would like to walk after. Are we perfect? Far from it. She's closer than I am. But I'm just saying, that should be the goal of all of our lives and relationships. They ought to be so that we are following Christ so closely that we're confident in our lives being examples for others. Whether you're single, whether you're married, whether you're, you, you, you know, all of us have to live under submission. So it, it's just one more reminder of the submission aspect of our lives. But if we'll do that, our lives become powerful examples of what Christ wants to do and what He can do. And people will come to faith because of the way you live your life. You're always going to fuse words but they're going to see the power of it in your life lived before them. Let's pray. Lord, thank you for this morning. Thank you, God, for your work in our lives. And Lord, I do pray for um, husbands and wives, and more specifically today, wives, Lord, in understanding potentially a very misunderstood passage of Scripture, one that quickly drives emotions. And Lord, I'm praying that we, from a biblical perspective, will understand what this really means. We'll understand what it means to be a follower of Jesus, submitted to those in authority over us. And God, that we will understand that we can bring people to faith because of our willingness to live lives that honor you. Lord, I pray in our lives, God, that you be honored and glorified. God, mold and shape us into what you want us to be. And may our homes and our relationships be examples to those who live around us, for those who come in contact with us, for for unbelieving friends, that the way we live our lives would be examples to them and, 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 and testimonies of what God can do. Lord, I thank you for your work in our lives, for your word that instructs us and teaches us in all righteousness. Lord, help us to live it, I pray. 
for this morning. I don't know what everybody is going through, God, but this morning if people are facing certain things, difficulties and struggles, Lord, I pray that in these moments as we close this service, they will experience your freedom, your comfort, your strength, your help. Lord, we thank you for it in Jesus' name. Amen.